What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. How's it going, Greater Nation? Chris Thomas here. Hope you're having a great day kind of day. And my guest on this installment of Great A Nation is William Samosegi. He is the CEO and founder of SAS Mining, a collection of hydroelectric hosting facilities attempting to sustainably power Bitcoin mining rigs that can be used by individual investors, those non-professional investors commonly referred to as retail investors. To learn more about SAS Mining, go to sazmining.com. William, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? I'm doing well, and I would like to learn more about SAS Mining. SAS Mining works with the renewable-powered hosting facilities, what is the process like for finding an appropriate hosting partner? Yeah, well, to, to start off, the big key is that we're uh, trying to make Bitcoin mining accessible. So before we entered uh, the market, if you looked around, it was very easy for anyone to go and buy Bitcoin. I'm sure a lot of your listeners probably own some type of Bitcoin or at least know someone that has bought Bitcoin. But if you ask that exact same question of, do you own a Bitcoin miner or do you know anyone mining? It gets a lot smaller, that pool of people. And so what, what we wanted to do is we wanted to build a product that opened the floodgates into Bitcoin mining, but we also wanted to do it with uh, renewable energy. So you're seeing this huge conversation today around uh, the energy consumption of Bitcoin and Bitcoin's effect on the environment. And what we wanted to do is really educate people and show that Bitcoin mining can be a strong tool, not only for financial freedom, but also for improving the environment, uh, developing renewable energy, uh, mi minimizing pollution by capturing waste. And so with our platform, uh, we make it easy for anyone to participate in that vision. But how, how do you find you know, entities that are willing to serve as uh, a host for the mining rigs? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've been in the industry since 2018. And what you see is there are different parts of the industry. You have the, the miners, which are the people who actually own the hardware that, that is mining the Bitcoin. But that those miners, they need to be consuming electricity in order to run. And so, as, as you put it, there's hosts that will actually go and charge a certain amount for the energy and run your Bitcoin miner. But the big problem is, is that unless you're entrenched in the industry or you've got very good relationships or you've got a tremendous amount of capital, then you can't access the best hosting deals. So what we decided to do through the platform is say, hey, look, if you're just a regular everyday user who wants to buy one miner, five miners, 10 miners, you don't need millions and millions of dollars to go and start mining Bitcoin. We can be the partner that allows you to have your machine running in facilities that we go and contract for. Uh, the, the big key with the facilities, as mentioned before, is just making sure that 
it's a good deal, the economics makes sense, and that uh, it's a renewable or carbon negative energy source. SAS Mining links money together from customers, pulls it together, and then places a bulk order on these discounted mining rigs and renewable energy contracts in an attempt to address the energy wastefulness tied to Bitcoin mining. Now, yes, I can see retail investors having environmental concerns tied to Bitcoin, but why would they even make the leap into mining to create new Bitcoin and having a rig that can perform the complex math problems verifying Bitcoin transactions? Great question. Yeah. Well, the the big key is that with Bitcoin mining, you're getting the ability to have ownership of a hard asset. A a lot of the times when people think about Bitcoin, one of the first things that deters people from actually making the leap into investing in Bitcoin is the fact that it's, it's digital, right? And there is value in Bitcoin, no question. But many people, in order to take that leap, want something physical. And so a Bitcoin miner is a physical asset that consumes energy and turns that energy into Bitcoin. Uh, And so it's a different type of vehicle to be able to get exposure uh, to this asset and this this up and coming digital world that we're living in. But you own a hard asset and you're printing Bitcoin in a way. And that's what's very attractive to people who might not be mining today where Let's say that you're, let's say, a real estate investor. You understand the concept of owning a building and then earning rent every month. This is almost like real estate for the digital age where you can own a a piece of hardware and that hardware is generating Bitcoin. When Bitcoin is successfully mined, the miner receives a predetermined amount of Bitcoin. Is each person that works with SAS Mining getting their own individual rig how do you make sure people get their bitcoin from the rig and have it within their wallet yeah this is one of the big areas that we were extremely excited about when we were building the product is we wanted to make it easy where in a couple clicks you could start earning that bitcoin and have it deposited into your wallet so what we ended up doing was we built a product where I'll walk you through it where we have those machines running, uh, customer machines running in Wisconsin, and the Bitcoin that's being generated by those machines are being deposited directly into the customer's Bitcoin wallet that you link. Uh, and w- the way that we've done that is we've partnered with a mining pool called um, called Luxor. And so SAS Mine, we're actually never even touching the customer's Bitcoin. Luxor's going and distributing the Bitcoin block reward directly to customers' wallets. So um, if you go on, you buy a miner, that miner goes and gets installed in Wisconsin, and then the Bitcoin generated from your miner is being deposited directly into the Bitcoin wallet that you link into the portal. Is this really in the decentralized spirit of the blockchain if people are using as mining as an intermediary of sorts how are you staying true to the spirit of bitcoin through this project one of the biggest things about bitcoin and and why it's so powerful is the social layer and this decentralization that you mentioned and what you see is that 
people who own Bitcoin, all of a sudden now you have an economic stake for their to, for Bitcoin to succeed, right? But the biggest stakeholders and the strongest people within the social layer and the decentralization of Bitcoin are the Bitcoin miners. Because as a Bitcoin miner, you're one layer deeper. You're not just holding a digital asset, uh, Bitcoin, but instead you're actually owning hardware and owning the digital asset and processing transactions. So you're actually contributing to the decentralized nature of Bitcoin through Bitcoin mining in a stronger way than someone who just holds Bitcoin, for example. And it's taking it one step deeper. But what I like to the, the way that I like to think about it is if you look at every single person who's participating with Bitcoin, there are some people who are at a very high level just owning it on an exchange. You've got people who go deeper, custody their own Bitcoin. You have people who go deeper that mine their own Bitcoin. And then you have people who go extremely deep who might be going and participating with the protocol uh, and trying to help make improvements, contributing to SegWit, things like that. And what, what I think is powerful about this is that you can go and participate in another part of the ecosystem and participate in that decentralization. One of the mottos of SAS Mining, and it says it on the website, is that, quote, mining should be as easy as signing up for a Netflix subscription, end quote. While some may say it is a positive to make Bitcoin mining accessible to as many people as possible, others will say that by making mining overly simplistic, you simply make an already competitive space even more competitive. What is your response to that concern? Yeah, well, my response would be that it's good <laughs> that it's more competitive. Uh, the, the more people that get involved, the stronger that the network becomes. When, when you send Bitcoin to a friend, that's a transaction that we need to know happens securely. We need to know that it processes properly. And we need to know that the network is, is secure. And the more competitive that mining becomes, the more secure the actual Bitcoin network actually is. Isn't there an element, though, and we'll touch on it again in a little bit, but of diminished returns if there's more and more people competing in this mining game with all these different rigs, isn't there a reduced possibility of a return on an investment? Yeah, of course. I, I think that that's the big key where uh, where we saw the hole in the market where it was very difficult for the everyday person to go and participate competitively. And that's why we, we built a platform that makes it easy for anyone to begin mining. Um, we're further decentralizing the network. We're making it stronger. We're helping people actually benefit from the economics of Bitcoin mining, even if they didn't have the ability to do so previously. But yeah, at the end of the day, um, it's the same type of thing where if Bitcoin's price shoots up, you make a lot more money. If Bitcoin's price tanks, then then you you would lose money depending on where you get in. But the big key with it is making it accessible um, and making it an attractive offer as attractive as possible at current market conditions. And given that, and there is a big emphasis on transparency with says mining what is the pricing structure like if someone enters into a plan with says mining yes yeah, so, so if you're a customer and you go in um, and purchase a rig 
what we do is we take your purchase of that rig or that 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 capital and purchase the rig at the current market rates we pass along the cost and the savings to you because we're allowing you to get in at a price that's far lower than what you would get if you just bought it at your own house um, or bought it without buying in bulk. And then on the electricity side, there's massive savings. So we're very transparent about our pricing per, facil per facility. We show you how much the monthly electricity is going to cost. And then we show you the estimated amount of Bitcoin that's going to be generated based on historical data. Um, so we try and give customers all the tools and information that they need. But at the end of the day, once you mine that Bitcoin, it's for you to decide what you do with it. You could sell it or you could hold it and hope that it goes up. Uh, that's that's your Bitcoin after it's mined and, and you can decide what you want to do with it. But there is a solid margin there in terms of the value of the Bitcoin that you're generating being worth more than the electricity. What are the biggest challenges tied to limiting the upfront and ongoing costs of maintaining a mining rig such that it is economically viable to do so? Yeah, there's a lot of legwork that it, that it takes to actually get a facility put together. So for example, as a customer, uh, the customer is not going out, identifying sites, talking with all the different stakeholders involved, negotiating contracts, uh, you know, procuring and negotiating equipment. Um, so all of that falls on our team to set up that deal. Once that package is ready, we plug in the customer for that and we get the process rolling. Um, in, in terms of our actual uh, business model and how we make money, we're passing along the costs and then we're keeping, um, for this initial facility, we're keeping 5% of the Bitcoin generated by the mine um, as the way that we are getting compensated. Now, uh, I mean, you're building a company, you're essentially building a brand and in, in the process of doing so, doing things like writing articles on various websites, speaking at Bitcoin conferences, talking to doofuses like myself. No, <laughs> But how difficult has it been to build credibility in this space? Because something that I do observe is that there is a significant lack of trust in the crypto space. So how do you cultivate that trust and build the brand such that people are comfortable working with SAS mining? Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought up that point because a lot of people, especially people who are outside of the industry, you'll look at what's happened and you'll group a lot of things together. And, and that's what we've seen with a lot of people who are looking at crypto and, and talking about FTX or some of these other major collapses. And at the end of the day, you had a bad actor that was doing illegal things and committing fraud. Um, and they were leveraging a new technology to do so, which is extremely unfortunate. I think that smart regulations around it can help prevent uh, things like this from happening. But at the end of the day, you had a massive fraudster that leveraged the technology. Um, but I think that in terms of actually building credibility, it's important to just be very transparent with customers, let, let them know what's happening, let them know how things are progressing. And then the good thing about uh, about blockchain and and actually you can see it in 
and what we're doing or anyone else who makes these things public is you can actually track the ledger and track the transactions. And so as customers, you can go and see exactly which block you're being paid out from, how much Bitcoin you're receiving, how it was being paid out to your wallet. So I think having transparency around, um, around your product rather than having these gated off walls where if you're a customer at some one of these exchanges and you, you don't have that transparency, then it's going to be very, very difficult to trust a, a company in the industry. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it's it's very unfortunate what's happened, but I think that it's going to, to force the companies and the good actors to be more transparent and to have better communication with customers moving forward. And what is the user base of SAS mining like? Is, is it folks primarily concerned about the environment? What is it that makes them intrigued about SAS mining that they're open to entering into an agreement with the project? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. Um, the, the big things would be one, just having an understanding of the importance of this technology, the importance of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. Uh, th there's something special about being a miner, because as we talked about before, you're taking one, you're going one layer deeper when you become a miner. Um, but also you have people who are passionate about the renewable side. I mean, it's been incredible seeing how much people have been learning about Bitcoin mining over the past year as it relates to the environment. Um, the narrative in the mainstream before people started looking into it was that Bitcoin was really bad for the environment. Now people are starting to realize that Bitcoin mining as a technology helps the energy sector. If you're an energy company, you need to plan for your energy capacities demand. And, you know, it's very difficult to plan around renewables. The sun isn't shining 24 hours a day. The wind isn't blowing the same all hours of the day. Inter renewable energy sources are intermittent in demand. And so Bitcoin mining is the solution for a lot of the challenges that you have as an energy executive if you're trying to utilize renewable energy. Um, a big one that very few people uh, knew about last year was the capabilities of Bitcoin mining with methane. So m many people don't know this, but methane is 84 times more damaging to the environment from a warming perspective than carbon dioxide. And right now there is no good commercial solution to solve this methane problem for global warming. Uh, so if we put you in the shoes of an energy executive, let's say that you have a well that's emitting a bunch of methane. Assuming you don't have Bitcoin mining, you can either pay $100,000 to plug that well. Um, you could try and flare that well. So what that means is like, it, for example, if you're driving down um, somewhere in like West Texas or, or the Dakotas, you might see a big fire coming out of the ground. That's what flaring is, flare gas. And the reason why you do that is because you don't want all this methane going out and polluting the atmosphere. So you'll actually set it on fire on site. So instead of it going out as methane, a lot of it gets burned and flared. Um, so only 8% releases as methane. And so those are your solutions, really, if you're trying to solve your methane problem. With Bitcoin mining, you can take that liability of the methane that would either pollute or cost you a lot of money to address. You can take that liability in methane and turn it into an asset 
by instead using that methane to produce electricity on site to mine Bitcoin. And this is such a powerful paradigm shift because when you think about it, this is the only viable technological solution to the methane problem around the world today. And it's a very, very strong economic incentive to rather than pollute, start generating Bitcoin. So this is something that we're also trying to be on the forefront of by allowing anyone to get involved with renewable energy to help the energy developers or carbon negative Bitcoin mining to help solve this global warming problem. I, I can see how SAS mining is addressing the environmental problems tied to Bitcoin mining, but what element of SAS mining is addressing the concern that the crypto space isn't enhancing access to economically disadvantaged communities that would serve to benefit from getting involved and getting invested in the crypto space? Great question. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. So I'm assuming that most of the, the listeners here are living under a strong currency or somewhere in the Western world. Um, if you're living under the dollar, the yen, the pound, so, uh, one of the strong currencies, you're in the, the global elite in terms of financial means. And, and what that means, a, a byproduct of that is that you haven't had to, to deal with a government that has shut down your bank accounts, uh, most likely. Um, or you you haven't had to deal with the problem of uh, massive governmental corruption. I mean, you literally have people that that have governments that have completely devalued their currency. I mean, imagine if you woke up tomorrow and your dollar bought half as much, and then you woke up the next day, and all of a sudden you realize that the entire life force that you've you've earned all the time that you've given to earn money, all that money is just completely worthless. You have people around the world that are living in a reality where they can work all day, make a strong, honest living, and then have it snatched away from them in a second. Um, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the of the woman, but there's this woman in, in Ethiopia that was trying to detail the struggles of the banking system. I mean, it, we, we take it for granted that we just have the ability to, to have banks and we can put our money in banks and we don't have to worry about not being able to access that. Uh, we can send money to people very, very freely here. We don't have transactions cut off. We don't get in trouble for sending certain transactions. Th th that's a reality for us, but the majority of people around the world are living under regimes right now where they need Bitcoin, where Bitcoin isn't just an investment, isn't just an asset to make money. Bitcoin's actual hope. It's the ability to protect your life force and your savings. And that is why Bitcoin has so much value. And there are many other reasons that we can discuss, but I think that the most powerful one is that, you know, now you don't have that person living, um, li living in fear that they're going to be able to access their funds, that they're going to be able to even get to the bank safely, driving two hours one way, two hours back, hoping you don't get robbed after you get pick up your money at the bank when... 30% of the value is taken out by the intermediaries. Now, instead of an entire day and potentially getting robbed, you can have that money sent to you within 10 minutes max. 
and without virtually any fees. In terms of your background, you were once CEO and founder of Turna, which was a mobile app where college students could discover and promote events on campus. You worked at Turna, if I have it correctly, based on your resume from 2015 to 2017. What do you think Turna executed well, and what were some missteps? Yeah, that was uh, one of the most, I would say, transformative times in, in my life when uh, trying to build that business. Uh, as any person who's gone and, and built a company knows, especially for, for the first, second, third time, you learn a lot of lessons along the way. So that when building up that company, there are a lot of things that I learned about different tools, how to structure uh, companies, corporate structures, and just product development, <laughs> a customer acquisition, every little piece. And so it was an extremely fun journey. Uh, we went, we launched on a number of different college campuses. We had users using the app. Um, but at the end of the day, when you look at a company, a company is there to serve a purpose and there's a mission and there's some, some type of way that you want to impact the world when you're building an organization. And while I was building that company, I realized that there were so many other things that could be so much more impactful on the world and have a far larger net benefit to humanity than building a, another social app, really. And at that time, I had been learning about the power of blockchain technology and uh, I really started diving down the rabbit hole that for some of the topics that, that we're talking about here today, I was scratching the surface there and I just realized there was so much more that could be done um, and it was still so early and I just knew that I had to get involved. But in, in particular, in regards to success, it, I, I was very proud of uh, what we actually built, what we got to market. Um, the, what we were able to accomplish with so little resources. And uh, it, was, it was a great chapter. Uh, in terms of challenges or, or failures, I would say that like all in all, um, you know, could list that like a thousand failures in, in some little tiny way. But I think that instead of looking at failures in business as, or mistakes in business as failures, like appreciate those and look at them as lessons um, in the journey to, to figure out how to build a business. And so a lot of those I took into SaaS mining and then, you know, here make made new mistakes. Uh, so <laughs> the, the, the good, the, the good piece about it is that if you make a mistake, you're not going to make the same mistake again. So it's just about going and getting the reps, just like when you're in the gym, for example, when you go and lift for the first time, you're not going to be lifting a ton of weight, but you go in consistently over and over again, and eventually you get stronger. With people looking to start a business, how do they get into that mindset of not being afraid to fail and not being afraid to make mistakes and appreciating that, you know, there might be missteps along the way, but in the end, you end up being a better business person and perhaps even a better leader. It really just comes down to making a decision and it's very, very hard. And, and I want to preface this by saying it really, I'm not trying to say that everyone should go out and try and start a company. That That's something maybe I would have said a, a while back, but I definitely don't think that it's something that 
uh, people should should go into lightly. I think that it, it requires serious thought. But at the end of the day, if you're going down that path, it's a paradigm shift in your mindset where not only have you decided to do it, but you you're not looking at failures or mistakes as uh, something you're scared of doing because you have to embrace that that's going to happen. But you've just got to embrace that that mistakes will happen, but you need to learn from them and you need to try and make the best decisions that you can at each time where with the information that you have. Um, nobody's perfect. Everyone's going to make mistakes, um, but you got to there's a lot to learn in, in terms of actually choosing something that you, you're going to succeed at. You hear this very common thing that people say, you know, go and, and work on something that you love. And I don't think that you necessarily have to, but I think that you should. And a very large percentage of people who succeed worked on something that they love. And the reason why you most likely should do that is because at the end of the day, you have to put in a lot of hours. You've got to work very, very hard. And if you don't truly love something or you're not passionate about it, then it's going to be very hard for you to put in the amount of time that you need to, to actually see it through and make it a success. And so um, overall, I mean, it, it, it's not like this huge, there's no secret code, really. There's a lot of things that you'll learn all, along the way that will help a lot, but it's just going and, and just understanding that you're committing a tremendous amount of your life to whatever it is that you're building. And you've got to be willing to make that commitment. And if you're not willing to fully make it 110%, then just choose something else to do. I mean, there are lots of other things that you can do that don't necessarily have the responsibility of building a business, leading people and having other people's you know, livelihood depend on how your organization does. Has your interest in technology always been a, a lifelong thing, essentially? And how do you think it transitioned into a, a focus in the crypto realm? Yeah, you, you read my mind. Ever since I was very young, I was extremely interested in, in building things. But at the end of the day, technology, there, there was a book I read very early on that was talking about how technology was so powerful. And the example that they gave was that in the past, you had a lot of manual labor, for example, and then you had huge technological innovations that made some of those jobs mundane. So all of a sudden you could, you could have a machine that was doing the work of a hundred or a thousand man hours or a hundred people. And so in that type of a world, if you want to build a business and make it as efficient as possible, then the technological innovation is going to make that possible. And what's crazy is that that's happening today, but at an exponential type of rate. I mean, you look at the efficiencies that something like the internet uh, provides and imagine trying to build any business today if you didn't have access to the internet. Right now, I think that this is, I'm not sure if we want to get into this topic, but this is where it gets absolutely mind boggling is the innovation that you're seeing in AI. And my belief is that this innovation in AI that you're seeing is even bigger than the internet and it's even bigger than Google. And it's a mega trend that you're seeing happen coincide with what's happening in Bitcoin. And uh, 
And what will happen is you will have a tremendous paradigm shift in how things are built and how humans interact with, with technology to build organizations. And we're right on the forefront of this right now with um, chat GBT and some of these other language processing models that have, that have been released. In getting into the artificial intelligence aspect, I mean, a lot of the concerns people have is that machine learning, big data, what have you, that a lot of this is going to uh, eliminate jobs that people have now and that in the future, uh, a lot of the jobs that exist today will, will not be around. And so how do we address those concerns in the crypto space? Because jobs that are available now might be automated through artificial intelligence in the future. Yeah, this is actually a, a topic that I've been thinking about for a while and my views on it have actually changed. So initially, I would... I had been of the belief that exactly what actually what you had mentioned that no matter what or uh, different than what you'd mentioned, actually, um, my view is that, yes, technology is going to get better, but that's going to create a different landscape. So there's a reason why every single person today isn't going out and farming. It's because we had technologies that made it a lot easier to farm. So then those people went and spent their time doing other things and building other innovations and building other businesses and allowed them to spend their time elsewhere, continue to work, but work on things that were outside of what the technology had made obsolete. Now, my view at the time was that it wouldn't necessarily lead to a massive loss in jobs. It's just that the people would go and get new jobs um, in the new world. Now, this is where my views changed is that when you look at it, the types of jobs that can be taken on are becoming more, they're starting to require more and more level of complex thinking. And at the end of the day, it, it's a sad truth, but if you take someone who's got an IQ of, you know, in, in the bottom, you know, like third standard deviation, uh, then then they're gonna have a lot. <laughs> wow. They're gonna have, have challenges taking on a job in a world driven by artificial intelligence. And so when you look at that and you look at how the jobs are becoming more and more complex, you're going to have a larger part, a greater and greater amount of society that just doesn't have the capability to take on jobs in the world. And so the question is, is what happens in that world? And this is one of the things that I'm personally actually very scared about to see is because I don't think that our geopolitical structures, the way the companies run and everything else is a world that's built to service a, a large portion of the population. There's a, there's a very large portion of the population that it's going to be very, very difficult for them to provide for themselves or to provide actual economic value in a workplace where they can't take on a job that, that isn't automated. Um, and so going back to the, the very original point and the original question, you, I believe are, on, are, are correct in that a greater and greater portion of the world isn't going to be able to hold a job as technology continues on this exponential route. Um, I mean, some of the stuff 
that you're seeing from chat GBT is absolutely insane. You can go and uh, you, you can go and give it any prompt, give it any college essay, give it anything to do. And this, th this language processing model will spit out something that is more, more intelligent than 95% of people that you know, if you ask it the right question. I would argue if you know how to ask it the right question, you, you would be able to ask it things and have it spit out answers that are smarter than any single person that you know. And the crazy thing about this is that it's only going to get better. Uh, the data sets are going to get far larger. Uh, the processing power is going to become way more. Uh, the, the processing power is going to, to be so much larger for these models that you're going to have just crazy capabilities from these machines. Microsoft just invested $10 billion into OpenAI. Microsoft, right before they made that investment, laid off a bunch of their work, their, their workforce. Um, did they need to lay off that much of their workforce? No, they laid off a large amount of their workforce so they could have money to go and invest in, in this artificial intelligence type of technologies. And so I think that you could already make the argument that there's a lot of jobs being lost because the human capital or the, the capital is being directed towards the highest earnings, highest alpha um, investments. And right now the highest alpha and highest growth investment opportunity seems to be in artificial intelligence. Now that we're at this crazy inflection point in the exponential growth curve. I actually think you use chat GPT before the interview you typed in what is a polite way of calling someone dumb and it spit out the discussion of the standard deviations <laughs> below the me. I, I actually have it pulled up here right now. And I I bet if I asked that question, it would come up with I could tell it to come up with ten jokes right now and it will do it in, in ten seconds about yeah, it's it's not gonna <laughs> be talking about eating glue or wearing a spinning propeller hat twenty four seven. It's it's going to talk about the standard deviations component. Now, what, what are aspects tied to product development, marketing, and team building that people on the outside looking in a business don't necessarily appreciate? Yeah, there was this preconception that I had had early on when building the company that when you grow and things get bigger, things would get better, right? It's like, oh, if I would be so happy if all of a sudden I built a company that was worth over $50 million, for example, or over $25 million. The, the, the big misconception is that as things get bigger, they get better. As things get bigger, there's just more and more responsibility um, and it, it gets harder and there's more stress and there's more, more things that you have to deal with. Um, but I would say that it, it some, like if you enjoy that, it's actually, it, it does get better in that way because when you're building a team and you're building a product and you're starting to get traction, um, you really got to put the best people in the seats. And so early on, I, let's say that I was hiring for a particular position. Let's say that I knew that if I hired a candidate and I was talking to a candidate, I thought that they were good and they could, they would, could do the job. They would provide they would provide $150,000 in value and I was paying them $50,000 a year. I would normally think, you know, let's do it. Good deal. 
Now, the way that I think about it is um, after screening for a whole bunch of things and deciding on a person, it's not a question of are they good enough to do the job, but it's like, are they the best top point, like 1% performer, right? Because if you go and you hire someone and they're a superstar and they're easily going to deliver over 10x of value, if you see that potential in them, then you only want to go for those types of hires because you have an opportunity cost of your own time if you're working with someone who isn't as competent. And so from a hiring perspective, what's really changed is instead of going and trying to pitch investors to grow the company, instead going and try and pitch the best people in the world that can help you grow it and build something that works, and then the investors will become more interested. So it was a, it was a paradigm shift that instead of going and trying to pitch investors to build the team, go and try and pitch the best people in the world to work for you, and the investors uh, will want to come. Uh, the, the other piece is, is just um, surrounding yourself with people that fill your gaps. And so if you're someone who's super, super uh, disorganized and very creative and, and um, you have certain skills, then find out what skills you're super, super weak in and allow yourself to double down on your strengths and find people whose strengths are your weaknesses and just put together teams around that and, and be very honest and transparent with everyone. So people know, okay, this person is like this, this person's like that and have just a culture of like feedback, you know, just not animosity, but Hey, I want feedback. So incorporating feedback sessions, incorporating team building, uh, things like that, um, incorporating the values that you care about, um, integrity, a meritocratic approach, things like that. Um, there are a lot of things that you don't really think about when you're building a business. A lot of people will initially just think about, oh, well, want to make money, want to put uh, create, put a product in the market, like look at the margins, things like that. But actually building an organization and a team is much more about the soft skills and, and how people work together and what people care about. And it goes back to passion. If you're passionate about something, you're not going to get upset if if you have to go and work over the weekend or you have to work late nights, you're going to enjoy it or want to do it because you care about what's actually being built. You played tennis at a pretty high level, Division One. Is the competitive mindset in athletics similar to the competitive mindset in business? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I it, this is me speaking from personal experience. I'm I'm not sure if if other people would agree, but I do think that you have a very you you need to have a competitive aspect in business, just like athletics, if you want to do very well. Because at the end of the day, if you look at someone who's competitive, what makes them competitive? Well, they really care about the outcome. They really want to do well. They want to win. It's not something where they just look at it and if they lose, they, they're like, okay, whatever. Um, you know, I'm on to the next thing. It's something that they'll, they'll think about for a longer period of time. And the more time you spend on something, the better you're going to get at it. So if you're extremely competitive in a sport and you lose, um, it doesn't even have to be tennis. It could be, for example, something like wrestling. And, get, and, and you'll remember if you're competitive and you'll, you'll stick in that – the way that you lost, you might replay that in your mind and 
and you'll figure out how to avoid it in the future. And I think that that same type of principle of needing to reflect and find ways to improve and learn that needs to happen if you want to succeed in business as well. And so overall, my personal opinion would be that, yes, it, it translates um, directly, really. Um, the only other variable that you're looking at is passion. So are you passionate about the sport that you're playing? The answer is yes. And you're competitive. You're probably going to be very, very good at it. If you're passionate about business um, and you're competitive, you're probably going to be very, very good at that, good at it. But if you, if you don't have passion towards something, it's going to be hard to get to a very high level because you most likely won't want to spend the amount of time on that activity to be able to get very to a level where you're very good. Because there's someone else out there in the world that you're going to be playing against in tennis who is not just competitive, but also very passionate. And you, there's going to be someone in your industry that is very, very um, competitive, but also very, very passionate about their industry and about business. And they're most likely going to spend more time on it and outwork you if you're not passionate about it. You may be playing a person in tennis, but in the future, you may be playing a, a robot trained by artificial intelligence. William, what are you going to do if you lose to a robot version of John McEnroe? <laughs> be, well, be <laughs> I, I think that I think that I would accept defeat in that regard. I think that the, the future of AI is um, is just pure mastery in a way that you can't even fathom or that we can't even fathom today. Uh, I mean, we've already seen it happen in other activities like like go and chess and things like that. But um, I mean, when you get to the point where you have ro a robot, John McEnroe standing against the court, I think that it's time to go and find a different activity because you're, you're just going to absolutely get smoked. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be going for a couple games. <laughs> if I could, if I could get two games against him, then I would be ecstatic. Yeah. I'd be scared of robot John McEnroe having a temper tantrum about one of the calls made. But that's just me. <laughs> Yeah. Why the, the, oh, <laughs> why the emphasis with SAS mining on mining Bitcoin? Why not mining Ethereum, Solana, or some other coin? Yeah, great question. These Bitcoin is really the proven. Uh, I, I don't even look at or like to look at Bitcoin as, as a crypto because it's in a completely different realm. Bitcoin is going for an addressable market that is far different than every other crypto project. The only thing that crypto and Bitcoin have in common is they both have blockchain technology backing them. But that's kind of a silly way to look at and group them together, right? Because I wouldn't look at someone playing tennis and someone re playing wrestling and say that they're the same thing. It's like they're two different sports, just like how, you know, Bitcoin and, and all other crypto projects are all they have in common is that they uh, utilize blockchain technology. Bitcoin provides hope, financial freedom, decentralized uh, access um, that doesn't that doesn't care about where you're from, what your background is. True democratization to value transfer, whereas all these other cryptos are more akin, more alike startups that 
are going and trying to solve a particular problem in a marketplace and who knows if they're going to succeed. They're, they're all, um, many of them are startups that, that underwent unregistered securities offerings in order to raise their money. Um, so there's a, there's a huge governmental backlash that's, that's going to continue to be happen, happening against those startups. But uh, yeah, I, I view Bitcoin as something very different than, than the rest of crypto. And this might be a little technical, but I think it's worthwhile for people considering looking into SAS mining. In, in 2024, the Bitcoin uh, mining reward will drop to 3.125 Bitcoins per mine block. So essentially half of the current mining reward. What is the long-term incentive, in your view, for retail investors if the Bitcoin mining reward is going down after every 210,000 blocks. Yeah, the Bitcoin mining reward is made up of two things primarily. It's one, you mentioned the block reward, and then the other is the actual transaction fees uh, that are paid as compensation to miners. And so from our perspective is, you you know that the, the halving is gonna happen every 210,000 blocks, roughly every four years. The next one, as you mentioned, happens in May. The big key is that you need to make sure that you are operating efficiently, that you're that you that you're accessing low cost energy, that you're accessing low cost hardware, and then making sure that you have a good operation in order to maximize the amount of Bitcoin that you're generating. Um, and so that's been our approach when we're sourcing sites, um, and it's a time where the people that are mining more efficiently during those having events, you can see which ones are the most efficient and and what the best way to maximize the return is. Now with our facility, that's why we've set it up where we give people the opportunity to get in on low cost power, hydropower in Wisconsin, or low cost mining rigs um, by utilizing our relationships in the hardware market. And we present that to our customers so they're prepared for those types of events. It will probably be at least a century until the last Bitcoin is mined. For those listening to this in the year 2140, I, I thank you and I hope you are enjoying the show. At that point, mm -hmm. probably though, the money earned is only from the transaction processing fees. So with so many miners, why... Do you think this will be a good long-term investment moving forward? Yeah, I'm happy that you, you mentioned how long it's going to take for the last Bitcoin block reward to be mined, because it really shows the long time horizon of the network. Uh, in terms of the short term here, uh, for example, these machines last roughly four years. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that, but one of them is that the technology continues to get better. So over time, uh, the technology is going to get better and better and better, and you're going to see hardware upgrade cycles within the overall Bitcoin network. Um, and I think that that's really exciting, right, is that you have a network that continues to get stronger and stronger, and more and more people around the world are going to have the opportunity to participate in it. Um, ideally through SAS mining, but um, 
you know, if there are going to be other miners that want to go out there and start leveraging this technology. Uh, at the end of the day, it just powers and strengthens the network. Now, there is a gap in the market, and you are filling the void as you know, a long-term business venture. What is your commitment to this project, and under what circumstances or scenarios would you say, hey, maybe it's time to make a change? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So for the first part of that, it goes back to the answer that we talked about earlier with businesses going through changes. So in the early stages, it takes a certain team to get from point A to point B, um, but you it takes a different team to get from point C to point D and so on, right? Um, a top, let's say that a company goes public and they've got a couple, like let's say 20 bill market cap, they're a very large company. The, the people who are running that company need a different skill set than the company that is going and raising their seed or series A round. And so I think that from my own personal timeline with the company, it really is just making sure that I'm playing the right position for the company that I can help the organization as much as possible. And I can give you an example of how this has changed already. Uh, for example, in the early days, I was much more involved in the nuts and bolts of every single part of the business. You name any department, any piece of how the company's run, and I was directly, directly involved at a high level, uh, if not leading it um, in the very early days. Then as the company continued to grow and we had more traction and we raised some capital, and in order to grow more, it took, it required other types of work and other skill sets um, in order to grow the company. And so now uh, I still am technically the, the CEO and, and founder of the company, but I have a right-hand man, uh, Kent Halliburton, who's our president and chief operations officer. And so he's taking on a ton of those roles that I used to play, and now my roles are shifting within the organization. And so um, I think that these are all things that are going to continue to happen as the company grows. But at the end of the day, I just want to do whatever I can to help the organization and help it see its way through to our mission and vision. And uh, I actually realized that I haven't explicitly said it here. So our, um, our mission at SAS Mining is really to improve the way that humanity relates to energy and money. And the way that we're doing that uh, is through this new technology of Bitcoin mining. Uh, we've talked about some of the things where Bitcoin mining is great for the energy sector, great for addressing climate change. And then on the money side, I think Bitcoin is the global future global reserve asset. And it's something that is going to be a very, very useful tool, especially as governments get more powerful and potentially more corrupt in certain areas of the world. You want citizens that have this option if they can't trust their government. And what is one thing that you would like folks to know about SAS mining that perhaps we haven't covered already? The big thing is, is that if you're passionate about what it is that we're working on or you're interested in getting involved, you can go onto the website and start mining with us. Uh, I mean, we, we also have a podcast where we talk with people more in depth in, in uh, Bitcoin and crypto and energy. 
Um, and then we're also on LinkedIn and Twitter. So if anyone wants to follow the company or follow me on those platforms, uh, you can do so there. Well, there you have a great nation. I encourage you to check out that podcast, but only after listening to Great A Nation first. Go to sasmining.com to learn more. William Semoseki, thank you so much. Great A Nation, we'll see you next time. Take care.